You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. So this year, as a church community, we have been on quite a lengthy journey. It's been a lengthy journey, and we've called it God's Story. And if you haven't been here for one week where we've been doing it, what we've been doing is we've literally been working our way through the entire Scripture, all of the Bible, discovering either for the first time or afresh how the Bible serves us as one big story that's all about Jesus. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, it's one story that either looks forward to or back to or forward to again in, and looking at Jesus and how he has served us and how he continues to serve us faithfully as our Lord. And today, we're at the end of the journey. How's that? That's pretty good. And fittingly, to end our journey in Scripture, we're going to end with the final book of Scripture, the book of Revelation. So, yeah, you ready? Okay. I don't know if I am. Nah, just joking. Um, how about we pray? I think we really need to pray when you open Revelation, don't you? But let's pray that God would really just, just really speak to us and really, I don't know, yeah, just, just really minister to us where we need ministry and also that God would really seal and bring home what we've journeyed on together over the course of this year because, funnily enough, Revelation is a beautiful bookend that's not really a bookend, it's a bookend for now, but a bookend to all of God's story and what his great grand plans are for humanity, creation, and new creation. So let's, let's invite him to speak to us today. Yeah, Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus, you are the mighty God. You are the mighty one. You are the Prince of Peace, as Isaiah prophesied of long ago. And even in this Christmas season, God, as, as it's all about you, God, this year we've been reminded that your scriptures, the Bible, the word of God, the truth that we can base our very lives on, is all about Jesus. You are the hero of the story, Jesus. And so today, as we, as we finish up our journey in God's story, Lord, we pray that you would be magnified yet again, that our hearts would be gripped yet again with your beauty, with your goodness, with your faithfulness, with your unending love for unfaithful people, basically. May we just truly, God, be awestruck as we look to Jesus, as we open up the word, um, your book of Revelation today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's do a poll. Who loves Revelation? That was about 50%. Who can't stand Revelation or finds it really difficult to understand? All right, a few of us. That's good. I like it. Revelation is one of those books, isn't it? Either you find Christians absolutely love it and spend all, every waking hour they've got digging into it in depth, really trying to understand it, and others, it's just like, you know what, I'm, I don't want to read that at all. Like, that's, that's one part of the Bible, it's, it's beyond my pay grade, 
I'm just not even going to go there. Who, who knows? That's, that's pretty true, isn't it? Now, the thing is with Revelation is like any part of Scripture, it's a really important God-breathed work that's been given as a blessing for us, hasn't it? That's why God's given us his word to bless us and guide us as his followers today. Now, the thing with Revelation is, unlike the majority of the other books in Scripture, Revelation is pretty difficult to read and pretty difficult to understand, isn't it? To our modern brains, our, our, our kind of context, we, we just read much of it and go, what on earth is that? Like, what is going on here? And so why, why is this the case? Well, Revelation is apocalyptic literature. It's a certain type of literature that we likely don't read a lot of nowadays, do we? It, it's a type of prophetic writing that was popular in the time post-exile for Israel. So after they'd returned from exile, it was this type of writing that was very popular. And the Greek word for apocalyptic happens to be what? Revelation. So that's where the title comes from, or apocalypse, sorry, means revelation. Now, if you have a read of it yourself this week, Revelation is always good reading when it comes to Christmas, maybe, I don't know, anytime. But you'll, you'll see, you read it, and you will see how, how foreign and how strange this book really is to our, our Western minds and our Western ears. Revelation is, is a book that was written by the Apostle John, and, it, and it's full of visions, full of imagery, full of symbols and really detailed metaphors. It's, it's written, um, it contains, you know, lengthy and really confronting imagery as well. Lengthy, confronting descriptions of the end of the world. That's what Apocalypse is all about, the end of the world. And plenty of really strange and bizarre things, like you can read Revelation 9 and you can read descriptions of long hair locusts with men's faces. Like, I mean, come on, that, that's pretty weird, isn't it? Who said the Bible's not fun? So in light of all these things, it's pretty safe to say that, that Revelation is not the kind of book that you open and you go, oh yeah, I've got it. I can make sense of what's going on here. Countless New Testament scholars have devoted their entire lives seeking to understand, seeking to interpret Revelation and explain it to other people. And even these learned men and women still don't come to a common interpretation of Revelation. Even people who've devoted their lives to, to studying Revelation in intricate detail at the highest theological level of training that they possibly can they don't all agree and hold to one common interpretation of the book. Now, here's something that you mightn't realize, and I chat with a lot of Christians, and I find that not a lot of people actually realize this, and we don't talk about this enough in Christian circles, which is a bit strange, but there are actually four main camps when it comes to interpreting Revelation. Four main camps. Not one, not two, but four Historicist, futurist, preterist, and idealist. They're the four main camps. Now, now, don't tune out. 
I'm not going to say anything about any of them today. All right? We'll save that for a seminar sometime. Maybe we could do that next year. Would that be fun? A seminar on Revelation. Sunday afternoon seminars on Revelation for the rest of the... No, just joking. But that, that could be cool. We'll, we'll save it for something like that. But I, I share this information simply with you to highlight the fact that there are multiple considered biblical ways of interpreting the book of Revelation. Yes? Biblical scholars have and will continue to, until Jesus returns, hold to firmly different interpretations of this book. Christian sisters, Christian brothers all around the world do now and will, until Jesus returns, hold to different views on this book. And you know what? That's okay. That is completely okay. Can I be blunt and straight with you today? I'm going to be anyway, so <laughs> doesn't. Re- I got the mic. Hear this today, and, and, I, and I want us to hear this. God cares more that we, as his followers, are continuing to grow in his likeness and are operating as people of love. He cares way more about that than what interpretation of revelation we hold to. God cares more that we are continually growing in his likeness and are operating of people of love than what interpretation of revelation we hold to. Too often, and I'm saying this in love, we're personally personally taken, we're, we're convinced that our way of reading things is the way. It's the way. There's no other way. How are you so blind? Can't you see? My way is the right way. And... Our assurance in our own position kind of leads us to even look down on and at times even ridicule people who hold to differing beliefs. Other believers, other children created in the image of God when it comes to revelation. I say this in love, that's not loving, friends. That's not loving. If we do that, we're not living and operating as people of love. We're not following the way of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. If we do that, we're showing a lack of grace to our brothers and sisters, other members in God's own family. Now, hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying to not do your homework, to not read and study and seek to understand to a greater level things like Revelation. We should all do that. What are we called to do? We're called to be Bereans to study the scriptures, to see if what Paul or anyone else is saying is true. We need to have a grasp. Be ready with an answer for anyone who asks us a question. All that sort of thing. We need to do that. But here's the thing. We are to study and we can develop our understanding and we can hold firm to our particular view on something such as Revelation. But we can do that all the while, treating people who hold to different views with gentleness, with honour and respect. Yeah? Let's be perfectly clear. None of us, not one of us, not the, the most wonderful theologian who's spent their, her whole life studying the scriptures, none of us have a full grasp on scripture. None of us can be sure that we fully understand every single thing that we might think we might actually understand every single thing, but we don't. We don't. 
We're finite human beings, and this is especially true when it comes to Revelation. So much of Revelation is up for interpretation. And it's kind of like, well, you interpret one thing that way, and then that opens up nine possibilities here, and then those nine possibilities open up 27, whatever that math thing is, I can't remember. But you know what I'm saying. You go one way, and then all of a sudden you've gone down this path when maybe you've actually taken a wrong path. We won't know. Some of the things John shares are clear as day, and we can, we can hold to them, and we can be sure that Jesus is coming again, that he will reign forevermore. But many things we won't actually know 100%. What he means until Jesus returns. So, until he does, what are we going to do? We're going to be people of love and generosity and gentleness as we hold to our personal views, but also offer grace to others who hold to different opinions than us. Does that sound good? Can we do that? Absolutely we can. Jesus would love it if we did. All right, that's enough. Let's get into the big picture message of Revelation. Because, believe it or not, there is actually a big picture message of Revelation that all of us, no matter our differing opinions on Revelation, can find common ground in and great hope and joy in as well. What's that? Well, here's my five-word summary of Revelation's big picture message. Hope for those who persevere. Hope for those who persevere. Michael J. Gorman, he's the professor of biblical studies and theology at St. Mary's Seminary in the US. He says this in summing up Revelation's purpose. He says, The purpose of the book of Revelation is to persuade its hearers and readers, both ancient and contemporary, to remain faithful to God. In spite of past, present, or possible future suffering, whatever form that suffering might take and whatever source it may have. You know, John's original audience, we so often forget that Revelation had an original audience, don't we? We're always focusing on the now, trying to read the signs of the times and the future, what might be coming soon, soon. And we forget that John's audience, he had an original audience. And these guys were suffering greatly, suffering greatly. John wrote Revelation to seven churches, seven first century churches in seven cities of the Roman province of Asia, which nowadays is modern day Turkey kind of area. How do we know this? By what John writes at the very start of Revelation in Revelation 1, 1 to 4. Let's read it together. John writes, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. There you go. Revelation is given to God's servant John. He's like kind of downloaded it from God. It's not him. The beloved disciple of Jesus courtesy of an angel for the benefit originally of seven real churches in that broader area of Rome and province of Asia. Now, when you have a read of Revelation yourself this week, you'll discover that five of the seven churches were dealing with some pretty serious spiritual issues. Two Two got commended 
and five got a pretty heavy rebuke for what they were doing, what they were allowing to come in and take root within their faith communities. Things such as false teaching, um, uh, persecution, compromise, falling into idolatry and immorality, and spiritual complacency. And so John's purpose in recording these revelations, God's own words to these people and these particular churches, was for their good, to encourage them. It was to encourage them to persevere in their faith and in their love for Jesus, to not fall away from their faith due to hardships, due to pain, due to anything that they might be going through, or even the allure of worldly, uh, worldly idols, the allure of worldly idols like wealth and status and all those sort of things, but to do what? To stick tight with Jesus Christ. To not go to the left, to not go to the right, but stick with Jesus no matter what. And God, through John, he encouraged them to press on by offering them hope. What was the hope John pointed them to? Well, quite simply, the reality that God has won, that God has won and will one day, soon, make all things new. The good news that ultimately, in the end, God wins. God wins, big time. Udo Schnau, a professor of the New Testament in Germany, he puts it this way. He says, Revelation communicates to the threatened earthly community the assurance of heavenly victory. Revelation communicates to the threatened earthly community the assurance of heavenly victory. John's saying to the churches throughout Revelation, he's saying hope is sure. Hope is sure. You can be confident that hope exists because one day God will put an end to all of this. All that you're going through, all that's causing you pain, all, that, all this suffering, God is going to put it to an end when he makes all things new. God will fully extinguish evil and enact justice for all the injustices that you've faced. God will make all things new. Now, he's, he also kind of says continually, you, you know, you, you're not, you might necessarily experience now, and the reality is for them, in many ways, they didn't even experience it in their lifetime. But the reality is, and John continually points people to it, the victory has already been won, and it will soon be fully realized. And this this is why you can have hope, even in the midst of the greatest darkness that you might face in this life. Now, I've said hope a lot, and sometimes with hope, we have a bit of a wishy-washy kind of understanding of it, don't we? We think of hope, and we think of wishful thinking. Like at our Connect group the other night, Paul said that he hoped for a bicycle for Christmas, but there's no guarantee that that's going to happen, is there, Paul? No guarantee at all, and, and Hannah's going, there ain't no guarantee of that at all. <laughs> you know, we hope for something, and we, we think of it like, oh, well, this, this might happen. Like, I'm hoping that Geelong go back-to-back in the footy this year, but it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but that 
That, friends, that kind of wishful thinking is not biblical hope. That is not what the Bible... When the Bible speaks of hope, that is not the kind of hope that it's speaking of. Let's check out this video to hear what biblical hope is. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavas for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kava for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kava for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold. 
waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. Excellent. Big thanks to the Bible Project for that resource. You know, it's a great video. I love that line, hope, biblical hope is based on a person. Biblical hope is based on a person. And we've, we've seen that, haven't we, over our journey this year, throughout all of Scripture. In the Old Testament, we're looking forward to hope. Israel are hoping that the Messiah will come and do what he promises to do. And he does. Hope comes in the form of Jesus Christ, who will celebrate his birth next week together. And today, as we're in Revelation, we're looking for and hoping in the fulfillment of this hope that Jesus will soon come to make all things new, just as he promises to do. Uh, Manuel Becker, he's a missionary. He wrote this great article and he describes how this hope will one day play out. I just love the way he put it. He said, Revelation is a beautiful symphony that proclaims God will have his way. Ultimately, he will overthrow all evil and injustice and establish his perfect kingdom of beauty, justice and love. God will redeem everything. He will bring restoration, reconciliation. In the end, God will triumph over evil. This is the Christian hope that shines even in the midst of darkness. Praise the Lord. This is the hope John is offering to these first century churches that God will complete his grand plan of redemption, of restoration, and he will dwell intimately with everyone just as he did all the way back in the garden before everything went pear-shaped with the entry of sin into the world. That is our sure hope. And this was the hope for believers back then, individual followers, and this continues to be the hope for churches today. This continues to be the hope for believers, followers of Jesus today, for anyone who trusts in and loves Jesus Christ as we go through life, because who knows life is not always easy. Life is far from smooth sailing at times. We face and endure different challenges, different hardships, in abundance at times. And we've, we've kind of all had a bit more of an experience of that over, over COVID period, haven't we? We've all suffered in different ways. We've found things difficult. Now, our, our persecution or our experience of life's hardships might look very different to what the churches that back in that day were experiencing. Let's be real. We are not getting arrested and then tied to a stake and then raised up in the streets to light the way for people, are we? That's not our experience. Praise God for that. We're not used as human torches quite yet. But we face the same kind of spiritual challenges that these early first century believers faced as we continue to wait for Jesus to return too. 
very things that have the potential, if, if, we're not, if we're not kind of on guard, if we're not aware, they have the potential to actually derail us from following after Jesus and persevering in our faith until the very end. Think about it. Just like the church in Ephesus, we can lose the passion and love we once had for Jesus. That's in Revelation chapter 2. Just like the church in Pergamum, we can be easily led astray by false teaching, can't we? Easily. Just like the church in Thyatira, we can lack discernment and we can even tolerate heresy to varying degrees as well. Just like the church in Sardis, we can be lackluster spiritually. We can kind of look alive on the outside, but only us and God know that actually on the inside, we're, we're, we're dead. We're spiritually dead. That's Revelation 3. Just like the church in Laodicea, we can become, in a sense, spiritually blind and can grow lukewarm in our faith. That's Revelation chapter 3 too. Now, you hear that and you go, oh, that's not good. But this is why Revelation is good news for us. Because for people in its day and for us today, this Revelation provides us with encouragement and hope in order to persevere in faith, in order to stick with Jesus no matter what. Whether we're seeking here and with us today and, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you may be sussing out whether Jesus is worth following, maybe online as well, seeking spiritual truth. doesn't matter if, if you're in that camp or if you're here or watching and you've been following Jesus for many, many, many years. Revelation is a book that gives us hope and causes us to actually look firmly to hope, the person of Jesus Christ, and encourages us to persevere in our relationship with him. Or, if we're seeking, to seek him out for the very first time, knowing that he is a God who fulfills his promises and does every single thing, has always done every single thing that he's ever said he'll do, and he won't stop now. He will bring all things and make all things new soon. Don't you love that word, soon? Parents, let's be honest. How many times have you said that already today? I use it all the time. All the time. Absolutely all the time. And my kids, especially Anna and Naomi, they absolutely hate it. Dad, when are you going to stop watching the World Cup replay so we can watch TV? Soon. Dad, when are you going to stop snoring, get up and get us some breakfast? Soon. <laughs> Dad, when's it going to be Christmas Day? Soon. <laughs> Even little Judah. Now, this is our, our two and a bit year old. When he's after something and I, and I respond to him, not yet, buddy. Even he, he'll look at me intently, kind of seeking reassurance. And he either says, soon? Like, is it actually going to happen? Or he says it a little bit more defiantly to try and like force me to do it. He says, soon. <laughs> like a full stop at the end. Hoping that soon might actually be soon, not 10 minutes away or, let's be honest, parents, sometimes when we say it, we have no intention of ever even doing it. Not even happening at all. Soon is not the most popular word in our household, that's for sure. And for those of us who, who love Jesus Christ, we don't like seeing it in Scripture either, do we? 
We don't. We're excited, as, as that video was saying. That's what hope is, eager anticipation. We're hoping. We're looking forward to what is to come. And we're waiting with eager anticipation for Jesus to return, for him to be with us, to be face-to-face with our maker, and for him to put an end to, to death and suffering and sorrow when he makes all things new. And then we read Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And we groan. And then we read the end of Revelation and the message is the same. Revelation 22, 7 and 20. And behold, I am coming soon. Surely I am coming soon. And we all say, surely you're coming soon. And we read this, and, and maybe if you're anything like me, you, you perhaps even say this to God from time to time. Who's ever got a little angry with God and said, seriously, God, has, hasn't it been long enough already? Isn't the world broken enough? Hasn't sin run its course? How long are we going to have to endure in this broken, fallen, very, very unlike what you'd planned kind of world, God? Come, Lord Jesus, come soon. And when I say soon, I mean like right now, like tomorrow would be good. Who's ever prayed something like that? You know, we don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. And we certainly don't know the hour or the day when Jesus will return. Revelation isn't like some kind of secret code given by God to help us to decipher when that's going to happen. That's not the point of Revelation. Revelation is a work that reminds us that we can wait. But we're not waiting like we're waiting and hoping that we might get a bicycle for Christmas, something that may or may not happen. We're waiting and hoping and trusting and enduring with full assurance, with full confidence, knowing that when it's God's time, when it's God's time, when the time's right, in accordance with God's grand master plan of redemption, he will do every single thing that he said he will do. Absolutely. Not one thing will not be fulfilled that is promised. We can be sure of this, 100%. All of these things will happen soon. Now, we don't have time to to read all of Revelation chapters 21 and 22 now. You can have a look at them yourself. But here's just one beautiful description of what's in store for anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ and hears the words and follows it, as John said, blessed are you if you hear it and then you actually follow this, who place their faith, faith in Jesus and then persevere in faith no matter what. This is a great blessing. And then there's a flip side to it. There's a flip side to it because who knows that sin's punishment deserves death. Jesus paid the price his death became the, the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. But who knows at the same time, like we, when we give a gift at Christmas, what a gift to be, what do you do with a gift? You need to receive it, don't you? And so everyone who receives God's gift of Jesus Christ and the grace that he offers are covered by Jesus' blood. 
and are, and are covered and saved from their sins. But as we know, and all of Scripture testifies to this, those who choose not to follow Jesus are not covered. They, are not, they do not experience forgiveness in this life. And there are some devastating consequences in store for those who continue on that journey and refuse to place their faith in Jesus and go their own way to the end. Here's Revelation 21, 1 to 8. And it starts with, with the great news for anyone who trusts in Jesus. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Wow. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed Away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers or perseveres will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Friends, that's pretty heavy, but this is the reality of God's story. This is the reality of God's great plans for us. The choice is ours, and all of the story highlights this to be true. We've seen this over and over and over again from the earliest chapters of Genesis to now. Following God always leads to blessing and life. Yes? Living our own way in rebellion to God, sin, that's what sin is, rebellion to God, going our own way, not following him, it always leads to death and sorrow. And here's the incredible thing. You know, we've seen over and over again that God is a God. He's that faithful, good patient, loving, kind, generous, self-sacrificial husband to people who love him. He serves people continuously. And his sacrifice on the cross was given for all, given for everyone, open to all. He's made the way for us to be in right relationship with his father through his death on the cross. And then through his death, what did Jesus do? He destroyed the power of sin. He destroyed the power of death, making eternal life available to all mankind. It's right there for the taking, but all of us need to personally respond 
and take hold of it for ourselves. And when I'm saying take hold of it, I'm not talking about, you know when you go to a restaurant and you, you pay the bill, you tap and go, don't you, Ray, because you always have a card. Just cash. Cash is king. Um, you either pay your cash or, or you tap on the thing, and then right next to the, the little pay thing, there's a little bowl full of treats and things. Has anyone ever seen those? And, and you grab like an after-dinner mint. And who's ever grabbed one of those after-dinner mints and then put it in your back pocket? Or if you've um, got a handbag or a man bag, maybe you've popped it in, in your man bag or your handbag, and then you've promptly forgotten all about it, and then two weeks later you find it, it's all melted and it's caused havoc in your bag or in your back pocket. Anyone ever done that before? I'm not talking about taking hold of God's gift and treating it like that. I'm talking about when we take hold of Jesus Christ, God's heart is that all people, every single one of us here listening online, every single person, that even the most hostile people to him that are in existence in the world, God's heart is that every single one of us would receive his gift with joy and make it our everything make it our greatest treasure, our very source of life, of hope, of peace and joy. And John's, make, John's vision makes it very, very clear. If we do that, if we trust in Jesus and if we love Jesus and if we persevere in faith in Jesus, we will be with God forever in the new heaven and the new earth. How good is that? In Eden restored. I'm not, I'm not going to go into it today, but you know, Eden originally, you see this perfect garden and relationship between man and God, free of sin. And then what does God do? He creates a new heavens, a new earth, like Eden restored all over again. The imagery continues throughout the Bible. It's, it's amazing. But we will be with God if we place our faith in Jesus. And these words of Revelation 22, 6 to 7 will be true for us. To the thirsty, that's us, because we're thirsting after Jesus. We're clinging to him. We're persevering. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And ladies, when it talks about son, it's talking about an heir, someone with all the rights in the family. But if we don't, and this is entirely our choice, God's a loving God, but he's also a patient and a gracious God. If for whatever reason, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't force us to believe in him. He doesn't force us to walk in life with him, even though he knows that that's what he's created us to do. If we don't, we're tragically, we're tragically not only closing the door to enjoying abundant life now in this life with him, but we're also closing the door to enjoying abundant life in relationship with him for eternity. So, I guess for all of us, the question is, how are we going to respond? What are we going to do, friends? Are we going to trust in Jesus Christ and with Holy Spirit's power and strength as we ourselves walk and keep in step with the Spirit? Will we be those who continue to persevere through sufferings, whatever those sufferings look like? They may not look like the ones that the early church went through, but will we persevere through sufferings and conquer 
be those who conquer? Or are we going to reject Jesus, the saviour of the world, and continue on our own paths, walking away from the very God who created us and loves us passionately and desires for us to be with him forever? The Bible is one big story that's all about Jesus. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life, and no one comes to the Father. No one is right with the Father. No one can enjoy relationship with the Father except through faith in him. So will you? Will you trust in Jesus? Place your faith in him and with his help and your own efforts but his help predominantly, by his Spirit's power, persevere until the very end. There's great blessings in store. There's incredible blessings. There are mind-blowing things. You read Revelation of what's in store, and it is just, it seems too good to be true, and it is. It's going to be more than our minds can even comprehend. That's in store if we are those who persevere with Jesus. Let's pray. Loving Jesus, we just want to praise you and thank you that you are the key to life itself. Jesus, we've seen over the course of, of this year as we've, as we've journeyed through Scripture, as we've, as we've looked back at, at creation and, and your, your family and all the, all the prophets and just every single part of Scripture, we have seen this beautiful thread continually of a, of a passionate God who is faithful to unfaithful people, of a God who cares for and nurtures and provides for and loves those people who so often choose to go their own way and disobey and sin against you. And God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, Jesus is the key, the promised Messiah who was coming, has come, and we celebrate that next week for Christmas Day, that the Saviour of the world was born, and yet, Lord, as we know, when we think of your birth, we can't help but look forward to your mission and what you were called to do. You lived a life of love. You lived a life of grace. You showed us the way to love God and love others. And then, Jesus, you died in our place, taking the very weight of the sins of the world upon your shoulders, making the way possible for peace to exist between God and man. And we just want to praise you for that, God. We thank you too, Lord, that revelation is encouragement to us. It gives us hope that you will do what you promise soon, but we can be sure of that. When It's not a half-hearted thing. We're not like, oh, will it or will it not happen? It's going to happen. But in the meantime, God, may we be people who partner with you, God, with you, Holy Spirit, to enable us to persevere, to press on, to continue on in faith, no matter what comes our way, no matter what hardships we face, no matter what earthly temptations, even the best ones, Lord, help us to have you just straight there before us always. And may we not turn to the left or the right, but may we persevere and stick with you, Jesus, and then inherit, inherit all that you have got to give those who persevere. 
We thank you, Jesus, for the great hope of revelation. And we thank you, Lord, that we have hope as we persevere. We pray too, God, for those that we know of who are not currently walking with you, do not know you at this point in time. We pray, God, that you would help us to share the gospel with them, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because, Lord, we know what's in store for anyone who doesn't choose you in this life. And so we pray, God, that you would give us a burden for those who do not yet know you, that we would be praying for them, that we would be opening our mouths as led by you, Holy Spirit, to share the gospel and to see people literally snatched from the clutches of hell and finding life and eternal life in abundance with you, Jesus. So God, we thank you for this journey we've been on this year and we thank you that Scripture, the Bible, your beautiful word is one big story that's all about Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.